0: Chapter Twenty Eight of Diana of the Crossways. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Deborah Wade, Cambridge, United Kingdom. Diana of the Crossways by George Meredith. Chapter Twenty Eight Dialogue. Round the subject of a portrait, with some indications of the task for Diana. An enamoured Agaria, who is not a princess in her worldly state, nor her goddess by origin, has to play one of those parts which strain the woman's faculties past naturalness. She must never expose her feelings to her lover. She must make her counsel weighty, otherwise she is little his nymph of the pure wells, and what she soon may be, the world will say. She has also, most imperatively, to dazzle him without the betrayal of artifice, where simple spontaneousness is beyond conjuring. But feelings that are constrained becloud the judgment. Besides, arresting the fine jet of delivery wherewith, the mastered lover is taught through his ears to think himself prompted and submit to be controlled by a creature super-feminine she must make her counsel so weighty in poignant praises as to repress impulses that would rouse her own and her betraying impulsiveness was a subject of reflection to diana after she had given percy dacier metaphorically the key of her house only as true gregaria could she receive him she was therefore grateful she thanked and venerated this noblest of lovers for his not pressing to the word of love, and so strengthening her to point his mind, freshen his moral energies, and inspirit him. His chivalrous acceptance of the conditions of their renewed intimacy was a radiant knightliness to Diana, elevating her with a living image for worship, he so near wants to being the absolute lord of her destinies how to reward him was her sole dangerous thought she prayed and strove that she might give him of her best to practically help him and she had reason to suppose she could do it from the visible effect of her phrases he glistened in repeating them he had fallen into the habit before witnesses too in the presence of miss paynham who had taken earnestly to the art of painting and obtained her dear mrs warwick's promise of a few sittings for the sketch of a portrait near the close of the season a very daring thing to attempt miss paynham said when he was comparing her first outlines and the beautiful breathing features even if one gets the face "'the lips will seem speechless to those who know her. "'If they have no recollection,' said Dacia, "'I mean, the endeavour should be to represent them "'at the moment of speaking.' "'But it into the eyes,' he looked at the eyes. "'She looked at the mouth. "'But it is the mouth more than the eyes.' "'He looked at the face. "'Where there is character, "'you have only to study it to be sure of a likeness. "'That is the task, with one who utters jewels,' mr dacier bright wit i fear is above the powers of your art still i feel it could be done see now that diana's lips had opened to say confess me a model model i am dissected while i sit for portrayal "'I must be for a moment like the frog of the two countrymen "'who were disputing as to the manner of his death "'when he stretched to yawn upon which they agreed "'that he had defeated the truth for both of them. "'I am not quite inanimate.' "'Irish countrymen,' said Dacier. "'The story adds that blows were arrested, "'so confer the nationality as you please.' diana had often to divert him for a too intent perusal of her features with sparkles and stories current or invented to serve the immediate purpose miss paynham was mrs warwick's guest for a fortnight and observed them together she sometimes charitably laid down her pencil and left them having forgotten this or that they were conversing of general matters with their usual crisp precision on her return and she was rather like the two countrymen in debating whether it was excess of coolness or discreetness, though she was convinced of their inclinations and expected love some day to be leaping up diana noticed that she had no reminder for leaving the room when it was mr redworth present these two had become very friendly according to her hopes and miss paynham was extremely solicitous to draw suggestions from mr redworth and win his approval "'Do I appear likely to catch the mouth now, do you think, Mr. Redworth?' He remarked, smiling at Diana's expressive dimple, that the mouth was difficult to catch. He did not gaze intently. "'Mr. Redworth was the genius of friendship, the friend of women,' Mrs. Warwick had said of him. "'Miss Paynham discovered it, as regarded herself.' the portrait was his commission to her kindly proposed secretly of course to give her occupation and the chance of winning a vogue with the face of a famous beauty so many however were mrs warwick's visitors and so lively the chatter she directed that accurate sketching was difficult to an amateurish hand whitmanby sullivan smith westlake henry wilmers arthur rhodes and other gentlemen literary and military were almost daily visitors when it became known that the tedium of the beautiful sitter required beguiling and there was a certainty of finding her at home on mrs warwick's wednesday numerous ladies decorated the group then was heard such a of dialogue without scandal or politics as nowhere else in britain all vowed it subsequently for to the remembrance it seemed magical not a breath of scandal and yet the liveliest flow lady pennon came attended by a mr alexander hepburn a handsome scot at whom dacier shot one of his instinctive keen glances before seeing that the hostess had mounted a transient colour mr hepburn in settling himself on his chair rather too briskly contrived the next minute to break a precious bit of china standing by his elbow and lady pennon cried out with sympathetic anguish oh my dear what a trial for you brittle is fordoomed said diana unruffled she deserved compliments and would have had them if she had not wounded the most jealous and petulant of her courtiers when the turk is a sapient custodian said westlake vexed with her flush at the entrance of the scot diana sedately took his challenge we mr westlake have the philosophy of ownership mr hepburn penitently knelt to pick up the fragments and westlake murmured over his head as long as it is we who are the cracked did we not start from china we were consequently precipitated to stamboul you try to elude the lesson i remember my first pedagogue telling me so when he wrapped the book on my cranium the mark of the book is not a disfigurement it was gently worded and the shrewder for it the mark of the book if not a disfigurement was a characteristic of westlake's fashion of speech whitmanby nodded twice for signification of a palpable hit in that bout and he noted within him the foolishness of obtruding the remotest of illusion to our personality when crossing the foils with a woman. She is down on it, like the lightning, quick as she is in her contracted circle, politeness guarding her from a repost. Mr. Hepburn apologised very humbly after regaining his chair. Diana smiled and said, "'Incidents in a drawing-room are prize shots at dullness.' "'And in a dining-room, too,' added Sullivan Smith." I was one day at a dinner-party, apparently of undertakers hired to mourn over the joints and the birds in the dishes, when the ceiling came down, and we all sprang up merry as crickets. It led to a pretty encounter and a real prize shot. Does that signify a duel? asked Lady Pennon. be the vulgar title, to bring it into discredit with the populace, my lady. Rank me one of the populace, then. I hate duelling, and rejoice at its discountenance the citizens and not the populace i think mr sullivan's myth means diana said the citizen is generally right in morals my father also was against the practice when it raged at its prettiest i have heard him relate a story of a poor friend of his who had to march out for a trifle and said as he accepted the invitation it's all nonsense and walking to the measured length it's all nonsense you know "'and when lying on the ground at his last gasp, "'I told you it was all nonsense.' "'Sullivan Smith leaned over to Whitmanby and Dacia amid the ejaculations "'and whispered, "'A lady's way of telling the story, and excusable to her. "'She had to Jonah the adjective. "'What the poor fellow said was,' "'he murmured the sixty-pounder adjective, "'as in the belly of the whale, to rightly emphasise his noun.' whitmanby nodded to the superior relish imparted by the vigour of masculine veracity in narration a story for its native sauce piquant he said nothing without it they had each a dissolving grain of contempt for women compelled by their delicacy to spoil that kind of story which demands the piquant accompaniment to flavour it racily and make it passable for to see insipid mildness complacently swallowed as an excellent thing knowing the rich smack of savour proper to the story is your anecdotal gentleman's annoyance but if the anecdote had supported him sullivan smith would have let the expletive rest major carew mahoney capped mrs warwick's tale of the unfortunate duellist with another that confessed the practice absurd though he approved of it and he cited lord larian's opinion it keeps men braced to civil conduct. I would not differ with the dear old lord, but no, the pistol is a sceptre of the bully, said Diana. Mr. Hepburn, with the widest of eyes on her in perpetuity, warmly agreed. And the man was notorious among men for his contrary action. Most righteously, our Princess Egeria distinguishes her reign by prohibiting it, said Lady Singleby. And how, Sullivan Smith sighed heavily, "'How, I'd ask, a lady's to be protected from the bully? "'He was beset. "'So it was all for us? "'All in consideration for our benefit?' "'He mournfully explained. "'Why, surely? "'That is the funeral apology of the rod "'at the close of every barbarous chapter,' said Diana. "'Too fine in mind, too fat in body. "'That is a consequence with men, dear madam. "'The conqueror stands to his weapons, "'or he loses his possessions.' "'Mr. Sullivan Smith jumps at his pleasure from the special to the general, "'and we'll be back if we follow him, Lady Pennon. "'It is the trick men charge to women, showing that they can resemble us.' "'Lady Pennon thumped her knee. "'Not a bit. There's no resemblance, and they know nothing of us.' "'Women are a blank to them, I believe,' said Whitmanby, treacherously bowing. "'And Westlake said, "'Traces of a singular scrawl have been observed "'when they were held in close proximity to the fire.' once on top of a coach whitmanby resumed i heard a comely dame of the period when summers are ceasing threatened by her husband with divorce for omitting to put sandwiches in their luncheon-basket she made him the inscrutable answer ah poor man you will go down ignorant to your grave we laughed and to this day i cannot tell you why that laugh was from a basket lacking provision and i think we could trace our separation to it diana said to lady pennon who replied they expose themselves they get no nearer to the riddle miss courtney a rising young actress encouraged by a smile from mrs warwick remarked on the stage we have each our parts equally and speaking parts not persona muti the stage has advanced in very similitude henry wilmers added slyly "'And Diana rejoined, "'You recognise the very similitude of the mirror "'when it is in advance of reality. "'Flatter the sketch, Miss Paynham, "'for a likeness to be seen. "'Probably there are still old conservatives "'who would prefer the personation of us by boys.' "'I don't know,' Westlake affected dubiousness. "'I have heard that a step to the riddle "'is gained by a serious contemplation of boys.' "'Serious? That is the doubt.' the doubt throws its light on the step i advise them not to take any leap from their step said lady pennon it would be a way of learning that we are no wiser than our sires but perhaps too painful a way whitmanby observed poor mountfort wilts boasted of knowing women and he married to jump into the mouth of the enigma is not to read it you are figures of conceit when you speculate on us mr whitmanby "'An occupation of our leisure, my lady, for your amusement. "'The leisure of the humming top, a thousand to the minute, "'with the pretense that it sleeps,' Diana said. "'The sacrilegious hand to strip you of your mystery "'is withered as it stretches,' exclaimed Westlake. "'The sage and the devout are in accord for once, "'and whichever of the two I may be, I am one of them. "'Happy to do my homage blindfold.' Sullivan Smith waved the sign of it diana sent her eyes over him and mr hepburn seeing Dacier, that rosy medievalism seems the utmost we can expect an instant she saddened foreboding her words to be ominous because of suddenly thirsting for a modern cry from him the silent she quitted her woman's fit of earnestness and took to the humour that pleased him astlauger's knight at his blind man's buff of devotion catches the hem of the tapestry and is found by his lady kissing it in a trance of homage five hours long sir hilary of agincourt returned from the wars to his castle at midnight hears that Chitellan is away dancing and remains with all his men mounted in the courtyard till the grey morn brings her back adorable we had a flag flying in those days since men began to fret the riddle they have hauled it down half-mast soon we shall behold a bare pole and hats on around it that's their solution a smile circled at the hearing of lady singleby say well i am all for our own times however literal the men we are two different species Thumped lady pennon swimming on the theme i'm sure i read what they write of women and their heroines lady escart acquiesced we are utter fools or horrid knaves nature's original hieroglyphs which have that appearance to the peruser westlake assented and when they would decipher us they hit on one of our arts the literary pirouette they perform is memorable diana looked invitingly at dacia but i for one discern a possible relationship and a likeness i think it exists behind a curtain dacier replied before the era of the nursery liberty to grow independence is the key of the secret and what comes after the independence he inquired whitmanby musing that some distraction of an earnest incentive spoilt mrs warwick's wit informed him the two different species then break their shallow armistice and join the shock of battle for possession of the earth AND WE ARE OUTNUMBERED AND EXTERMINATED TO A CERTAINTY. SO I AM AGAINST INDEPENDENCE. SOCIALLY, A muscle man SUBJECT TO EXPLOSIONS, DIANA SAID. SO THE ETERNAL duel BETWEEN US IS MAINTAINED, AND MEN WILL PROTEST THAT THEY ARE FOR CIVILIZATION. DEAR ME, I SHOULD LIKE TO WRITE A SKETCH OF THE WOMEN OF THE FUTURE. DON'T BE AFRAID, THE FAR FUTURE. WHAT A DIFFERENT EARTH YOU WILL SEE and very different creatures the gentlemen unanimously surmised westlake described the fairer portion no longer the weaker frightful hosts diana promised him a sweeter picture if ever she brought her hand to paint it you would be offered up to the english national hangman jehoiakim sneer interposed arthur rhodes evidently firing a gun too big for him of premeditated charging, as his patroness perceived, but she knew him to be smarting under recent applications of the swish, Mr. Sneer, and that he rushed to support her. She covered him by saying, If he has to be encountered, he kills none but the cripple, wherewith the dead pause ensuing from a dose of outlandish speech in good company was bridged, though the youth heard Westlake mutter unpleasantly, Jehoiakim, and had to endure a stare of dashes. "'who did not conceal his want of comprehension "'of the place he occupied in Mrs. Warwick's gatherings. "'They know nothing of us, whatever,' Lady Pennon harped on her dictum. "'They put us in a case and profoundly study the captive creature,' said Diana. "'But would any man understand this?' "'She dropped her voice and drew in the heads of Lady Pennon, Lady Singleby, "'Lady Escart and Miss Courtney. "'Real women's nature speaks. "'A maid of mine had a follower.' "'She was a good girl. I was anxious about her, and asked her if she could trust him. "'Oh, yes, ma'am,' she replied. "'I can. He's quite like a female.' "'I longed to see the young man to tell him he had received the highest of eulogies.' "'The ladies appreciatingly declared that such a tale was beyond the understandings of men. "'Miss Paynham primmed her mouth, admitting to herself her inability to repeat such a tale,' an act that she deemed not quite like a lady. She had previously come to the conclusion that Mrs. Warwick, with all her generous qualities, was deficient in delicate sentiment, owing perhaps to her coldness of temperament. Like Dacia also, she failed to comprehend the patronage of Mr. Rhodes. It led to suppositions, indefinite, truly, and not calumnious at all, but a young poet, rather good-looking and well-built, is not the same kind of wing-chick as a young actress, like Miss Courtney, Mrs. Warwick's latest shieldling. He is hardly enrolled for the reason that was assumed to sanction Mrs. Warwick's maid in the encouragement of her follower. Miss Paynham sketched on, with her thoughts in her bosom, a damsel castigatingly pursued by the idea of sex as the direct motive of every act of every person surrounding her deductively therefore that a certain form of the impelling passion mild or terrible or capricious or it might be less pardonable was unceasingly at work among the human couples up to decrepitude and she too frequently hit the fact to doubt her gift of reading into them mr Dacier was plain and the state of the young mr rhodes and the scottish gentleman was at least a vehement admirer but she penetrated the breast of mr thomas redworth as well mentally tore his mask of friendship to shreds he was kind indeed in commissioning her to do the portrait his desire for it and his urgency to have the features exactly given besides the infrequency of his visits of late when a favoured gentleman was present were the betraying signs deductively moreover "'The lady who inspired the passion in numbers of gentlemen, "'and set herself to win their admiration "'with her lively play of dialogue, must be coquettish. "'She could hold them only by coldness. "'Anecdotes, epigrams, drolleries "'do not bubble to the lips of a woman "'who is under an emotional spell. "'Rather they prove that she has the spell for casting. "'It suited Mr. Dasher, Miss Paynham thought. "'It was cruel to Mr. Redworth, at whom of all her circle the beautiful woman looked when speaking to him sometimes tenderly beware the silent one of an assembly diana had written she did not think of her words while miss paynham continued mutely sketching the silent ones with much conversation around them have their heads at work critically perforce the faster if their hands are occupied and the point they lean to do is the pivot of their thoughts Miss Payneham felt for Mr. Redworth. Diana was unaware of any other critic present than him. She sought to enliven, not unsuccessfully, notwithstanding his English objection to the pitch of the converse she led, and a suspicion of effort to support it. Just a doubt. With all her easy, voluble run of the possibility of naturalness in a continuous cleverness. But he signified pleasure, and in pleasing him she was happy— in the knowledge that she dazzled was her sense of safety percy hated scandal he heard none he wanted stirring cheering in her house he had it he came daily and as it was her wish that new themes new flights of converse should delight him and show her exhaustless to preserve her ascendancy she welcomed him without consulting the world he was witness of mr hepburn's presentation of a costly china vase to repair the breach in her array of ornaments and excuse a visit judging by the absence of any blow within he saw not a sign of coquetry some such visit had been anticipated by the prescient woman so there was no reddening she brought about an exchange of sentences between him and her furious admirer sparing either of them a glimpse of which was the sacrifice to the other amusing them both dacier could allow hepburn to outsit him and he left them proud of his absolute confidence in her she was mistaken in imagining that her social vivacity mixed with the comradeship of the active intellect was the charm which kept Mr. Percy Dacier temperate, when he well knew her to distinguish him above her courtiers. Her powers of dazzling kept him tame. They did not stamp her mark on him. He was one of the order of highly polished men, ignorant of women, who are impressed for long terms by temporary flashes, that hold them abound until a fresh impression comes, to confirm or obliterate the proceeding.' Affairs of the world he could treat competently. He had a head for high politics and the management of men. The feminine half of the world was a confusion and a vexation to his intelligence, characterless. And one woman, at last appearing decipherable, he fancied it must be owing to her possession of character, a thing prized the more in women because of his latent doubt of its existence. Character, that was the mark he aimed at that moved him to homage as neither sparkling wit nor incomparable beauty nor the unusual combination did to be distinguished by a woman of character beauty and wit for jewellery was his minor ambition in life and if fortune now gratified it he owned to the flattery it really seemed by every test that she had the quality since the day when he beheld her by the bedside of his dead uncle and that one on the French sea sands, and again at Copsley, ghostly white out of her wrestle with death, bleeding holy sweat of brow for her friend, the print of her features had been on him as an index of depth of character, imposing respect and admiration, a sentiment imperilled by her consent to fly with him, her subsequent reserve until they met by an accident that the lady at any rate was not responsible for proved the quality positively and the nature of her character at first suspected vanquished him more by comparison than her vivid intellect which he originally and still lingeringly appreciated in condescension as a singular accomplishment thrilling at times now and then assailably feminine but after her consent to a proposal that caused him retrospective worldly shudders and her composed recognition of the madness a character capable of holding him in some awe was real majesty and it rose to the clear heights with her mental attributes for satellites his tendency to despise women was wholesomely checked by the experience to justify him in saying here is a worthy one she was health to him as well as trusty counsel furthermore where he respected he was a governed man free of the common masculine craze to scale fortresses for the sake of lowering flags whilst under his impression of her character he submitted honourably to the ascendancy of a lady whose conduct suited him and whose preference flattered whose presence was very refreshing whose letters were a stimulant her letters were really running well waters "'not a lover's delusion of the luminous mind of his lady. "'They sparkled in review and preserved their integrity under critical analysis. "'The reading of them hurried him in pursuit of her from house to house during the autumn, "'and as she did not hint at the shadow his coming cast on her, his conscience was easy. "'Regarding their future, his political anxieties were a mountainous defile, curtaining the outlook.' they met at lockton where he arrived after a recent consultation with his chief of whom and the murmurs of the cabinet he spoke to diana openly in some dejection they might see he has been breaking with his party for the last four years she said the plunge to be taken is tremendous but will he he appears too despondent for a header we cannot dance on a quaking floor "'No, it's exactly that quake of the floor which gives much qualms to me as well,' said Dacia. "'A treble Neptune's power,' she rejoined, for his particular delectation. "'Enough, if he hesitates. I forgive him his nausea. "'He awaits the impetus, and it will reach him, and soon. "'He will not wait for the mob at his heels, I'm certain. "'A minister who does that is a post, and goes down with the first bursting of the dam.' "'He has tried compromise and discovered that it does not appease the fates, "'is not even a makeshift mending at this hour. "'He is a man of nerves, very sensitively built, "'as quick, quicker than a woman, I could almost say, "'to feel the tremble of the air forerunner of imperative changes.' "'Dacia brightened fondly. "'You positively describe him, "'paint him to the life without knowing him. "'I've seen him, and if I could paint— whose are the colours sometimes i repeat you to him and i get all the credit said dacia i glow with pride to think of speaking anything that you repeat said diana and her eyes were proudly lustreful their love was nourished on these mutual flatteries thin food for passion the innocence of it sanctioned the meetings and the appointments to meet when separated, they were interchanging letters, formally worded in the apostrophe and the termination, but throbbingly full, or Diana thought so, of Percy's letters, with grateful justice. For his manner of opening his heart in amatory correspondence was to confide important secret matters up to which mark she sprang it to reply in counsel. He proved his affection by trusting her. His respect by his tempered style a greenland style of writing she had said of an unhappy gentleman's epistolary compositions resembling it and now the same official baldness was to her mind italianly rich it called forth such volumes flatteries that were thin food for passion appeared the simplest exchanges of courtesy and her meetings with her lover judging by the nature of the discourse they held so consequent to their joint interest in the great crisis anticipated, as to rouse her indignant surprise and a turn for downright rebellion when the Argus world signified the fact of its having one eye or more wide open. Debit and credit to her buzzing familiars insisted on an audience at each ear, and at the house-door on her return to London. End of chapter twenty-eight Recording by Deborah Wade.